Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Creative Kindergarten Podcast. My name is Amanda, and I'm an early childhood educator in Ontario, Canada. And this podcast is a place where I talk about all things kindergarten. I pick a topic for the week, and I share my thoughts, my ideas, my learning around that topic. And for this week's episode of the podcast, I'm pretty sure it's going to have to be a two-parter because I have been reading, researching, looking through, organizing, taking notes on the new Ontario language curriculum document that came out, um, I think, just about a month ago. And people, educators have questions, concerns, have been talking about it, and I wanted to really deep dive into it before I shared my thoughts around it. I had some initial um, things that I had been thinking about with it that I'd shared on my Instagram stories, but I wanted to make sure that, you know, I had a real big, good understanding of it before I shared anything. I have lots of notes that I've taken. I have links for you. So make sure that you read the show notes after you listen to the podcast in case you need anything from it or interested in anything from it. But yeah, I'm just going to jump right in to this week's episode. And even if you don't teach in Ontario and you're like, oh, what new language curriculum? Um, That's okay. I'm sure there's going to be other things that are going to be really interesting around teaching kids how to learn, teaching kids how to learn. That doesn't make any sense. Teaching kids how to read and write that will be relevant to educators just about everywhere. So yeah, let's just jump into this week's episode. All right, so for this week, and probably next week as well, because like I said, I have a lot of notes to go through. I'm going to be talking about the 2023 Ontario language curriculum that came out, I think it came out in June at some time. It's the grade, I'm going to be looking at the grade one curriculum, but I think it's grade one to eight, maybe one to 12. Like there's like tons of them, but I specifically looked at the grade one curriculum and I wanted to take a look at it with the kindergarten lens because even though it's the grade one curriculum for whatever reason they decided to stick some kindergarten in there and i wanted to make sure that you know as kindergarten educators who are getting this new curriculum after we've had our ontario program document for i don't even know 10 plus years now what does that mean for us as kindergarten educators? And if you teach grade one or you know somebody who teaches grade one, these, this might also have some insights for them as well. But I'm going to start off with my number one note that I put in here. It just says, don't panic. As kindergarten educators, you know, we are always striving to do what's best for our students. We are continuously, you know, changing our instruction based on the needs of our students. And I have seen on Instagram, on Facebook, by talking to other educators, there is a real panic out there of like, what am I going to do in September? I don't want to spend my summer, you know, learning a new curriculum program or a new curriculum document. I don't want to have to change my whole instruction. My number one thing is don't panic. Honestly, I've read it. You're going to be able to do very small tweaks to your instruction, and I will talk about it in this in this podcast, um, either this week or next week. Um, it's going to be very small tweaks. 
that will be enable you to cover the new curriculum document no problem. You're likely doing a lot of the things that are in there already. And so you really are just going to be making some small changes, really thinking about your instruction and, you know, possibly, you know, following a scope and sequence or finding a scope and sequence that you like. So like, don't, I would not worry about it. I would not panic. I know that a lot of people um, have school boards that have not provided any professional development yet, or, you know, have no resources yet. You're okay. It's okay. It's not, honestly, after reading through it, it's very uh, common sense. And it, it, a lot of it aligns with what's in the kindergarten program already. And the things that have changed, I think are very good changes. So I'm going to go right into my next thoughts on this uh, new language curriculum. Why did kindergarten get lumped into grade one? Um, there's a small part of the grade one curriculum document. I will link it in the show notes for you if you haven't taken a look at the curriculum document. I cannot find a printed version. I'm pretty sure there is no printed version. I think you have to go online and you have to navigate this horrendous website that they have set up. Um, it's all very confusing. I took me forever to read through it and figure out how to navigate it. It's not the most intuitive website to like navigate through, but um, I will link it for you. Why did they put kindergarten into one section with grade one when, you know, we have our own kindergarten program document? I think I have my thoughts around this. I have no inside knowledge. I don't actually know. But from reading it and from my understanding, I think there might be some changes to our actual kindergarten program document, like our big curriculum. I think there is going to be changes to that. I've heard whispers of it for like years If you've listened to anything ever I've ever said about the kindergarten program document in Ontario, you know, I don't like it. It is as I have I have said for many years that I especially don't like the literacy component in that document. So I think there are going to be changes. But because it is such a huge document, like how many pages is it like 300 and something pages? Um, I don't think they would have had enough time to make changes to that kindergarten document and put out the new language curriculum. So I think that there's going to be more changes that come out specifically for kindergarten, but they just haven't done it yet. Maybe we're just like pushed to the side for a little bit. I'm not sure, but I think they're going to have to make changes to that document. And then the other part I was thinking about is that in Ontario, kindergarten is optional. So you do not have to send your four or five-year-old to kindergarten. Like once they hit grade one, that's when it becomes no longer optional. But my wondering is if uh, if only grade one is mandatory, they couldn't necessarily put too much of the language continuum into just kindergarten because grade one teachers will technically have to catch up any kindergarten students that didn't go to kindergarten because it's not mandatory. So that was my thoughts around that. Unsure if that had anything to do with it because, you know, we have a whole curriculum that technically um, a grade one student would have to catch up on if they didn't 
go to kindergarten and they only went to grade one. But that was just my thinking around why kindergarten just got thrown in with some grade one curriculum as well. All right, so let's get into the nitty gritty of what does this curriculum change about our kindergarten program document. If you hear me clicking in the background, that's because I have an actual like Google Doc of like extensive notes that I took while I was looking through our Ontario uh, program curriculum or document, whatever. So there's basically a couple parts in the document that I wanted to highlight. The first part is in the front matter of the book where it says thinking about demonstrating literacy and mathematics behavior. It starts on page 65 and a lot of it highlights the importance and gives a lot of reminders about oral language skills and developing communication skills. That is still going to be an important aspect of our programming. It also highlights the need for literacy skills across all areas of learning, which is, again, something that um, is really important for uh, thinking about kindergarten literacy skills. One of the parts that I found on page 66 was very interesting because the quote is, educators must stay up to date with the process by which young children learn how to read and write. For me, that's basically saying, um, yeah, educators, you have to stay up to date. You have to make sure that you're continuing your professional development around how to teach students to read and write. It's almost like they knew this was coming. <laughs> they predicted this 10 plus years ago that we were going to have to kind of really dive into the science around teaching kids how to learn, uh, teaching kids how to read and write. Some of the things I did notice in that front matter, um, starting on page 65, was that there's no mention of phonological awareness or phonic skills. There's no phonemic awareness. There's nothing in that front matter about, you know, the things that actually make kids good readers and writers. It's really about oral language skills, which don't get me wrong, super duper important. But um, it really didn't mention those those phonological awareness and phonic skills, which isn't shocking to me knowing our document. But at the same time, I was like, no, this is like the core of what we need to be teaching our students. It also had a real clear focus on incidental learning throughout the day, but it doesn't mention anything about explicit instruction, which would be the structured literacy component of our classroom teachings. It does mention a more balanced literacy approach on page 68, and I did notice that. Those are some of those things that I wonder, hey, will that be changed around, you know, not talking about explicit instruction and mentioning some balanced literacy um, approaches. The other part was it talked again about pedagogical documentation, which again, pedagogical documentation is great, but it doesn't say anything about assessment. And you know, if we are going to follow the science of reading and we're going to implement a structured literacy, structured literacy approach to our teaching, Assessment is going to be at the core of that. We need really great assessments in order to determine how we can uh, best um, tailor our instruction to meet the needs of students. Like 
it's so important. So the fact that they talked about documentation but made no mention of assessment in that front matter was kind of like a flashing red light, a red flag, whatever you want to say um, for me because I knew that, um, you know, I just, my knowledge around assessment has grown so much over the past couple of years that I know that that's going to be a huge part of programming and that it makes no mention of that is a little bit... Um, worrisome, I guess. <laughs> so hopefully that front matter gets changed. You know, it, it's not a huge part of that front matter, which is also like a little bit worrisome because um, there is a huge part about math. You know, they talk about problem solving, well-being. They talk about all the other components and which don't get me wrong, super important, but like this huge, huge, huge part of our instruction, which is really instrumental in enabling kids to become readers and writers, is just like a very tiny section of the front matter. So I'm very hopeful that that's going to get changed at some point. I, ha I have hope. Um, the next part of our kindergarten program document that directly kind of is interlinked with the new language curriculum grade for grade one are the um, overall expectations one, nine, 10, 11, and 12. Again, these are, you know, the ones that are, those are the overall expectations that are directly linked to language in our kindergarten program document. And I think that those are the ones that are going to need to be tweaked in order to align with what has been presented by the new language curriculum. So OE1, communicate with others in a variety of ways for a variety of purposes and in a variety of contexts. And then it has specific expectations under each of those. So OE1.1 um, or ex specific expectation 1.1 talks about oral language skills, vocabulary, listening skills. It does allude to phonological awareness with language structures um, within it. So they talk about rhyming and syllables and they do talk about phonic skills. I think it does misuse though the phonological aware, uh, phonological and phonemic awareness. Um, just the way it's worded in there, it I, I actually think it is misused within the context of 1.1. Then 1.5 is about building background knowledge, making connections. 1.7 vocabulary. 1.11 is about rhyming. For me, when we look at the new curriculum, which I will talk about they go into different phonological awareness and phonemic skills that students need to learn how to read. Rhyming is one of those skills, but from my understanding and talking with speech and language pathologists and other experts in this field, it, rhyming is not a skill that students need to master in order to move on to more complex phonological awareness skills. We really want to be like, focusing in on phonemic awareness skills because those are the greatest predictors of later reading success is those phonemic awareness skills so that they so that the document highlights rhyming but doesn't really go into phonemic awareness it, it does allude to it. it it it's in there a little bit but that it's not really explicitly saying like these are the skills that students need is something that uh, definitely needs to change and is changed when we look at that new grade one um, document. So OE1 
I think um, we can kind of not throw it out. <laughs> I do want to throw it out. Um, but we are going to think of OE1 as transferring to the new Ontario curriculum, um, grade one curriculum. I think that that needs to be just changed over to what is in that new language curriculum. OE9, I have had such a problem with OE9 <laughs> for years. I think I first started complaining about it four or five years ago. But it says, demonstrate literacy behaviors that enable beginning readers to make sense of a variety of text. So basically, OE9 is saying, we're going to teach students how to read. This is beginning readers. This is how you get kids to read. And it is everything that apparently we need to teach kids to do to learn how to read is in specific expectation 9.1. I'm going to read it to you because it's so ludicrous. Use reading behaviors to make sense of familiar and unfamiliar texts in print. So they're going to use the reading behaviors, the reading strategies that you teach them to read. So this, this is what you're going to do. You're, and then it's in brackets. Use pictures. So we are learning from research that getting kids to use pictures to guess at words is not teaching students how to read. That's the balanced literacy approach. We really want to have students reading words. We don't want them looking for picture clues as to what a word will be. So already... Like that is definitely not in the new language curriculum. Throw it out. <laughs> Use knowledge of oral language structures of a few high frequency words and or sound symbol relationships. So oral language structures, are they alluding to phonological awareness and phonemic awareness skills? Possibly. A few high frequency words. Sure. Great. <laughs> Some, uh, what's a few, <laughs> what's happening there and, and, or this is the best and, or sound symbol relationship. So, you know, you can use these other things or you can use the phonic skills when really like that's the basis of teaching kids how to learn how to read is, you know, applying their, their knowledge of sound symbol relationships in order to, you know, read words is is how we're teaching kids how to learn how to read. So the fact that it says and or just really got to me. I, I highlighted and um, bolded in my notes because I couldn't believe, like I've read it before, but every time I read it, it just gets more ludicrous every time. Um, so yeah, so that those first two, OE1 and OE9, those two I think are going to be the two OEs that change. So when I said at the beginning, like don't panic, this is what I meant. Like we're looking at two overall expectations. You know, OE10 talks about demonstrate literacy behaviors that enable beginning writers to communicate with others. So basically it's just inverting the reading thing uh, or the reading skills. So if students can um, read the words on the page, then we're going to by uh, decoding, we're just going to use those same skills to encode words. So you know, there. if you're able to, you, you really want to make sure that when you're teaching kids how to read, to recognize letters, we're also enabling children to practice writing those letters as well so that they can write the words that they want to write. 
And then again, they're using their phonemic awareness skills or phonological awareness skills or phonic skills in order to do that. Oral language skills as well. OE11, demonstrate an understanding and a critical awareness of a variety of written materials that are read by and with their educators. From what I'm reading, that aligns very nicely with the grade one curriculum. So I don't think that we even need to think about changing that. And OE12 is demonstrate an understanding and critical awareness of media texts. Again, aligns very well with the grade one um, language curriculum. And I don't think that one needs to be changed. I just really think it's OE1 and OE9 that are the more problematic ones and that the new language curriculum addresses. So thinking about the Ontario Kindergarten Program, what are my initial thoughts? I have a lot, apparently, (laughs) as you guys have heard so far. Um, Of course, number one, I think there really does need to be a rewrite. I'm going to whisper this of the whole document, but maybe that's not going to happen, but at least a rewrite, a tweak of the uh, literacy part of demonstrating literacy and mathematics behaviors would be great. (laughs) So let's start there and then we can go back and change the rest of the document as well. But changing around the language, around um, the balanced literacy approach that we see a lot throughout um, the initial front matter and in the overall expectations would be great. It When I was reading it, it just, it comes from a really big place of privilege. I couldn't, I'm sure I could come up with specific examples, but a lot of the time it talks about the oral language skills that students are bringing to the classroom, the skills that students are bringing to the classroom, you know, using the skills that they have. And I'm going to be really honest when I say like that is not necessarily what we are seeing in the classroom. It is, you know, uh, I would love, love, love that every student came in with great oral language skills, developmentally appropriate language skills um, for their age. I would love that they have been shown books and have an appreciation for books and reading uh, it's just not the case with the students that I am seeing. We are starting from like ground zero, basically, with a lot of the students that are coming in. It talks about like in the program document, it talks about like um, students talk, like talking in full sentences. I have a lot of students that won't even respond to their name, um, do definitely do not talk in full sentences. So the fact that it talks a lot about oral language skills, I do think is an, an, an appropriate place to start for a lot of our students and a place where I do start in September with my students because those skills are just not there when students are coming to school. And I'm I'm not even like put aside the multilingual learners that are in our school. I'm talking about English as a first language students I'm still not getting full sentences when they start school in September. So the place of privilege that the kindergarten program starts in, I think needs to be addressed in any new document that they come out with uh, around literacy skills, around a lot of the skills, but around literacy skills, because that's what I'm talking about. I do think it does really need to reflect the current classroom needs and the current needs that we are seeing emerging from, you know, having 
multicultural, multilingual classrooms that are happening now and are way more than I've ever seen. I know it's the area, like I'm coming from the lens of the community that I am teaching in, but I do really think it, it definitely needs to start reflecting that. And it also really needs to reflect our current understanding around the science of reading. Uh, I love, like I said before, I love the big focus on oral language skills, but it needs more. It definitely needs more than what it is giving. The other thing, and I think this is going to be my most important point from the whole podcast. If you don't take anything else from this podcast, I want you to take this part away. Educators, you do not need to invest in any kind of science of reading or structured literacy program yet. The panic that I am seeing from educators trying to get copies of UFLY, the UFLY program, um, trying to get copies of Hegarty, trying to just get their hands on anything that they can for September. There is real panic out there and I can tell. And I, I know why, because we really, as educators, we wanna do what's best for our students. And you know we see that this research is emerging and we really wanna do what's best for our students. Do not go out and buy anything yet. Instead, what I want educators to do is I want you to invest in professional development. You're not going to find a singular program that is going to do everything for you. I have yet to see a program that addresses oral language skills. I have like, it's just not going to happen. UFLY is a great program from what I've heard. I have not used it yet, but you know, it focuses on phonics and then I think throws in a little bit of phonemic awareness skills, whereas Hegarty program has a huge focus on phonological awareness and phonemic awareness skills. You know, some people are blending those two together. Does it address the oral language uh, needs of our students? I don't think so. So as an educator, the knowledge that you can get from taking courses around the science of reading is going to be so much more valuable for your students and for yourself than any program out there. Because then once you have that knowledge, you're going to be able to look at a program like UFLY, like Hegarty, and make really informed decisions about, you know, uh, how to use those programs in your classroom to best benefit your students. So that is going to be my biggest piece of advice. If you haven't, you know, taken a course yet, but you're looking into buying a program, reverse that. Take some science of reading courses, do some learning around it and the different components you need for a good um, reading program, and then start looking at programs. Uh, I have a podcast episode with um, that compares the different science of reading courses that I have taken. I will put that in the show notes for you. There is a free one from Reading Rockets that is fantastic. I would start there. Also, um, I would wait to see what your school board gives you. I see all these people buying the resource and I'm like, well, wait a second. Um, your school board, your school might be investing in a program and then you're paying for something that might align with the program that they want you to use or that they are going to use. 
I would just see, wait to see what your school board says, because they will probably have something um, that they're going to put out. If they don't, like I would say, if you've done your professional development, you understand, you found a program that aligns with your understandings and aligns with the needs of your students and you want to invest in that later, I would. I would just wait to see what your school and school board does first because like uh, two years ago, my principal bought me Hegarty after I asked for it. And like, I honestly probably would have bought it myself because I, I was so invested in trying it with my students. But she did buy it for me. So, you know, your school, your school board has the funds, has the has the means to do this. I would wait and see. Don't go out buying all your own programs on your own. Um, instead, um, I would also start taking some time, do some PD. Then next, start thinking about ways that you can make small changes to your program. So has oral language been a huge part of your program if it hasn't, that would be my number one place where I would start in September. If you're thinking like, where am I starting in September? There's this new, what do I do? Start with oral language skills. You'll never go wrong with that. There's lots of different ways you can work on oral language skills with your students. I think I have a podcast episode about it. Pretty sure I do. I will link it in the show notes for you. But just working on oral language skills in September. So at least you get started on a structured literacy approach to your learning. You're using the science of reading in your classroom. You might not have a program by your school or your school board yet, but you've started something. We're going to start with oral language skills. Easy, great way to get to know students. And that's where you're going to start your program from. You're going to tweak your read alouds. I have talked at nauseum about using three-day read alouds in the class focus on vocabulary, that focus on features. That is a huge part of structured literacy approach and using science of reading in the classroom. Um, I will link that in the show notes for you as well. You're going to start with, you're looking at your read alouds and seeing how you can utilize those read alouds to maximize your impact with your students. Then you're going to start thinking about your phonics routine. Most, I would say, kindergarten educators have some kind of phonics routine in their classroom. Now, S says S. So you're going to look at that phonics routine and start thinking about ways that you can make that bigger and better for your students. Again, I think I have a YouTube video on how I do my phonics routine with my students. You can take a look at that and you're really going to get the biggest bang for your buck with your phonics routine. Um... You're going to, if you're doing a letter a week, instead of doing a letter a week, we're going to speed it up. We're going to go much faster than a letter a week. I was doing two letters a week at the start of September, and I moved up to three letters a week in October, November, and December. We were done the whole alphabet, uh, including short and long vowel sounds in December, maybe the beginning of December. And when you do that, you're able to quickly start reading simple words with your students C VC, cv cvc words those are the words that you're able to start reading um, with your students during your instruction it's so important so you're going to speed up your phonics routine you're going to get the most bang for your buck out of your phonics routine i have a video for you on that if you want to learn more about what i do and you're also going to start thinking about phonics and phonemic awareness skills so there's lots. I'm going to talk about scope and sequences next week. This um, 
uh, this podcast episode is already going long, but I will talk about assessments and things that you can do around phonological awareness and phonemic awareness and phonemic awareness in the next podcast episode. But that's where I would start, you know, oral language skills, read alouds, your phonics routine and phonological awareness. I, I really think that having those in place are going to get you started in September, bring you into October, and then you'll start seeing your school board and schools start coming out with more things. You're going to start learning more about your students and then you'll be able to start incorporating more. You do not have to do everything on the day one of school. These are all things that we solely built into our programs as the first weeks of school progress. You don't wanna overwhelm students with tons of stuff going on, but these are the places that you can start. I think I said I was gonna stick this in next week's podcast episode, but I'm just gonna do it now. Talking about scope and sequences, like where do I start with all of this? Um, Around phonics skills and teaching students um, letters and sounds, As long as you have, from my understanding, as long as you have a scope and sequence, it doesn't matter which scope and sequence you use. Does that make sense? (laughs) So I have used the same scope and sequence for years. I can put um, a link to, I think it's in my phonics routine if you wanna see which one I use. As long as you have one, it doesn't really matter what order you teach letters in. Um, see if your school board puts one out. Let's see if they do that. Um, I would love to see a continuum for each school board, like highlighting, uh, what they want to see from kindergarten to grade eight or whatever it might be. So that, you know, if a kid moves schools in the middle of the school year, they're at the same place, no matter where they are. That is my wish, but I don't know if it's going to happen. As far, um, there's also, uh, if you go to the UFLY website, again, UFLY is like one of those things that I've heard a lot about. I never personally use it. They do have a scope and sequence that you can follow. I'll link it in the show notes for you. And for phonological awareness skills, this is where, this is why I got the Hegarty program. Just because phonological awareness skills, are so many of them, right? Like, there's, we've talked about rhyming, there's uh, rhyme and onset, There, uh, there's, there's just so many skills that are encompassed in phonological awareness and phonemic awareness skills. So I like having a program like Hegarty basically tell me how to progress through those skills. Do you have to have it? No. Again, like I said before, professional development and using your own professional judgment and having that knowledge is way more important than having a program I will link the Hegarty phonological awareness um, scope and sequence for you though, so that you can start thinking about it and thinking about how that fits into your instruction. I think you have to sign up for like their newsletter or whatever to get the free download. I, I signed up for it. They hardly ever send me anything. So it's up to you. You can find a different phonological awareness uh, scope and sequence, but That's it for now. That was a lot of information. I am so sorry, but that's basically my brain like vomit of what I was thinking when I was comparing these two. If you have any questions about this podcast episode or anything I mentioned, please reach out to me. You can find me over on my Instagram. I'm at creative kindergarten blog on TPT. You can also, um, reach out to me by email, creative kindergarten blog at gmail.com. 
I do want to remind you that I do have a 10 part video series about the Ontario kindergarten program document. So if you're brand new to teaching kindergarten and you do not know where to start and I just overwhelmed you with tons of information, um, definitely go check that out. It's free to sign up for that 10 part video series. And I go through not just remember, like not literacy is just half of one of the four frames. So I go through all four frames. I talk about my instruction. I talk about what this looks like. So if that is something that you're interested in, you can sign up for my free video series. These will all be linked in the show notes for you. Yeah. Let me know if you have any questions. Was this overwhelming? Was this too much information? Am I completely off base with my understanding of the Ontario kindergarten program? Let me know. I would love to hear from you. If you are not already already subscribed to the Creative Kindergarten podcast on whatever platform you're listening to me on, make sure that you do so that you know whenever I put out new episodes, which is usually every Tuesday. And I also have a book club happening on this podcast uh, about literacy instruction for English language learners, which ties in beautifully with the new Ontario language curriculum. Uh, It's aligned perfectly. That book is great. So if maybe you've already taken professional development around the science of reading and you're feeling the same way about how do I teach my multilingual students, that book is fantastic. It's just honestly fantastic in general even if you don't have a have um, a ton of multilingual learners it has some great tips and advice of how to implement a structured literacy program in your classroom i think that's all for me for this week thank you so much for listening to i will be back for part two next week